right, well, thank you. Appreciate that singing this morning. And uh, certainly uh, enjoyed hearing those songs sung. You know, we um, are approaching Christmas season, and, and it's been a bit of a tradition uh, to refer to this season as Advent, going back uh, both in the Western and Eastern uh, churches. A um, little, little bit of difference between the two. What is um, typically done um, over on this side is uh, the four Sundays before Christmas um, are considered the beginning of, of Advent season. Um, in the Eastern Church, um, Advent actually begins back in the November, uh, middle of November, so uh, it's longer. Uh, there, but um, first references of this go all the way back to the 6th century. Now, um, I'll be, just to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I've been a Baptist uh, since I was a little child, you know, that's when we went to the Baptist church. And um, I didn't really know a whole lot about Advent. You know, I'd heard the word, but I uh, didn't know a great deal about it. And then um, Ted Graham, back there in the sound booth last year, was it last year or the year before, two years ago, decided to teach on Advent. And so uh, it's an interesting uh, little series there as we worked through it. And uh, it's something that has, I I think, become more popular um, even in in Baptist churches today. And so uh, this over here actually is an Advent wreath. And so it's got the, the four candles. Sometimes folks do it a little different. They'll have four candles and then one in, big one in the center. And um, We were actually at a, a Baptist church here in town for uh, Daniel's violin recital yesterday. And they had, um, they had the Advent wreath out. And then they had banners for the four weeks of Advent uh, across the back wall. And so I, I think it's uh, growing in, in popularity. Um, it, it was something that was kept uh, somewhat like Lent, uh, you know, before Easter. And so, um, you know, there, it was, there was some strictness to it, but maybe less than Lent. And so uh, fasting was often a part of it. Uh, that's probably why it didn't catch on in Baptist churches. Um, and so, you know, that, that was, um, and, and so the idea was um, kind of a solemn Type, type thing as you um, observe, sort of, it's almost like preparing your heart for Christmas, right? Thinking of, of the arrival. Um, and then the, the second part of that was, is looking forward to the second coming of Christ um, and his judgment uh, at the last day um, that, that will come, um, you know, all as part of that sec- second coming and that description as those, you know, those times are grouped together. So, um, that's sort of the, the, um, the background, uh, some of the, the history there, and um, Ted has been kind enough to um, put together some, some papers for us that somewhere I lost along the way, but, um, but uh, the, the, um, the two, two particular um, things that we're looking at today, um, hope is uh, the first one, and then do you have the second paper there, if you don't mind? Give me a copy. Thank you. Appreciate that. And um, that was in your bulletin last week. Uh, this week we have week two, which is uh, faith. 
And um, you'll notice that sometimes these get ordered differently in different places, and, and that's okay. But uh, I thought I would just um, read this off as we uh, look at this together. It's in your, your bulletin today, but um, week two, faith, the Advent season is a time of anticipation and preparation for the most fortunate of all arrivals, the incarnation of Christ. On that first Christmas morning, God himself arrived on the scene as a baby boy. Uh, like the first Advent candle represents hope, the second candle represents faith. Uh, the remaining candles represent joy and peace. All four of these Advent themes appear here. Uh, this is Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. At the end of his letter to the Roman Christians, the Apostle Paul wishes them an overflowing, fill, all abound, amount of hope, joy, and peace. But the heart of this verse is faith. The blessings come from God. The only part that the Romans, or we play, is in believing. As we exercise faith, belief, trust in God, he fills us with all spiritual blessings. Faith is also the heart of the most popular verse in our Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The blessings of John 3.16 are also reserved for whosoever believeth. What does the advent of Jesus call on us to believe? Is this simply faith in God, in family, in love, in giving? No, it is more specific than the vague happy notions in the world's happy holidays. The blessings of God, hope, joy, and peace, now and everlasting life to follow, are for those who believe the good news that God has come in the flesh. The baby in the manger is God. He came into the world and lived a sinless life, and then he died to pay the penalty for our sins. He did all of this in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, or Christ. The Christ child is the promised Messiah, come to save us from our sins. By faith in him and his substitutionary payment for our sin debt, we can have eternal life as a gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith is the doorway through which God's abundant blessings flow into our lives that starts with trusting Christ alone to pay for our sins. And it continues day by day as we walk by faith, trusting God to provide our daily grace, hope, joy, peace, patience, tenderness, self-control, and every other spiritual blessing. And faith looks expectantly ahead to the second advent of Jesus when he returns to claim his bride and inaugurate his reign on the earth what a glorious day that will be. And so that's um, a good devotional there. I encourage you over the, the coming weeks to uh, hang on to those. Use them as, um, as um, devotionals and uh, things to think about in preparation uh, for Christmas and the time when we, um, when we celebrate the Savior's birth. When um, today, uh, with this, um, we're going to look ahead to, to really the incarnation. And so that's going to be the focus today of our morning message. We, we will be in Luke chapter 1 if uh, you want to start turning there. Um, I'll share with you uh, just, just briefly, you know, in, in terms of, of Advent, um, 
I don't uh, view this in any way as some sort of sacred rite or anything of that sort. It is, uh, it is a tradition uh, that has been carried on, and um, I, I don't think that there's, um, you know, anything in there. I, I, uh, I'm okay with tradition. I'm okay with stopping traditions, too. Um, I, I'm okay with both. And so um, it's, uh, it, for me, it's kind of a, um, a take-it-or-leave-it thing. But if, if it's a blessing for you and a help and preparation uh, for Christmas, um, I encourage you to, to read along with the devotionals. Uh, I know there are various Advent devotionals out there and things to uh, help prepare our heart. Um, considering the incarnation, considering the birth of our Savior, um, really is one of those principles of Advent. And I, and I think it's a good principle and a good idea uh, that we could replicate uh, in our lives. Just, just the idea that, that we're going to consider the reality of, of, of God in flesh and how does that work? And what, what is that like? We, we sort of started that we, uh, together uh, on Wednesday night. And um, just, just so you're aware of that, um, Wednesday nights we have a prayer meeting in here at 7 o'clock. And um, we have a, a prayer sheet. We pray for each other. We take prayer requests. And that takes up about 20 minutes of um, the Wednesday night uh, period. And then uh, for the remainder of the time, we have... Um, Sometimes it's sometimes it's it's a teaching. Sometimes it's it's from a book. Sometimes we go off track and we'll discuss um, a topic. Uh, sometimes it's a theological topic or, or, or things like that. Um, but um, really, last Wednesday night we we were uh, talking about the incarnation and and what does it mean that Jesus is the God Man and. Um, what happened at the death of Christ on the cross? Uh, did God die? Did the human part of Jesus die? How does that work? And um, we had really a great discussion in here. And um, I just want to just draw your attention to it. That's, that's what's going on um, on Wednesday nights. We're having those type of discussions in here. And um, if that would be helpful or a benefit to you, encourage you to take advantage of it, um, but it, it really is a, a special time together um, on those evenings. So tonight, is, uh, this morning, as we look into the incarnation, uh, we're going to begin in Luke 1, uh, beginning in verse 39. So Luke 1, verse 39, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of, of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of this handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed." 
For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath helped hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage speaking of this babe in the womb, Mary. Father, the, the one who miraculously was placed there by you. Father, the one who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, the God-man, still yet in the womb, yet alive, responding to the things around him, Father, in this beautiful picture we, we have here uh, of, of a mother being overwhelmed by the goodness of God, we pray that our hearts, too, would be overwhelmed for you sending our Savior. We thank you for the blessings it is to know that through Christ, through faith, we can have eternal life. That we, Father, can, can spend eternity with you. Father, we are encouraged so much today that, that regardless of what goes on in the world, that there is a Savior. Father, regardless of the evil, there is one who saves. So, Father, today we give thanks to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the, the, the incarnation talks about really a, a historic Christian doctrine, something that Christians have understood, of, and in particular, that Jesus of Nazareth is the second person of the Trinity. Um, that he um, has in time taken upon himself um, a, a complete human nature, that he is born of the Virgin Mary, that he's born by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, this, this doctrine of the incarnation focuses on the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the work of God the Holy Spirit, and they are all involved. All persons of the Trinity are involved. God the Son becomes fully human, and he does so in order to die for the sins of humanity and defeat death by the power of his resurrection. When we look at the New Testament together, uh, it, it certainly points to the fact that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. There's no um, doubt of that. But um, the fact is that throughout the Bible itself, there are certain places where we see this very clearly spoken of. In fact, the, the author's of, of those chapters have a special emphasis of it. We know ultimately that that author is God, of course. Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
course, Emmanuel there meaning God with us. The last chapter of, of um, um, in, well, in the, in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah describes those titles that the Messiah will be given. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. In, in Isaiah 9, 6, it, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Can you uh, imagine that and trying to read in Isaiah 9 and use those terms about a human king or a human leader? It just doesn't work. It's one thing to say wonderful. It's one thing to say counselor. But the mighty God... The everlasting Father? You know, Daniel himself describes this uh, Messiah as being one like a son of man, as being exalted to God's throne and, and sharing in, in his universal worship. In other words, he is worshiped. Daniel seven thirteen says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Even Daniel was aware of this coming one who would be worthy of the worship of people. You know, Matthew, of course, um, begins by talking about Jesus as being God with us, right? Referring to Emmanuel there. And um, Matthew one twenty three, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And the end of the gospel itself, uh, Jesus speaks of his own divine and omnipotence and omnipresence. His, his power, unlimited power, his, un, his lack of limitation for space or location. And, and he will be present with the disciples when they carry out their mission. He can say that, even until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, of course, the Great Commission verses there, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, in Luke's Gospel, uh, Mary is described as, as being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and in the, in the event of this virgin conception of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is involved. The Gospel of John refers to the Word here, Jesus being the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And it goes on and describes this Word becoming incarnate and dwelling among men, in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. See, that is our wonderful Savior, the Word made flesh. Galatians 4.4, we're going through that study in Sunday school, says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And although He was God, He humbled Himself through becoming flesh and dying on the cross. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6, refers to that. Who being made in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. If you're taking upon yourself of no reputation, do you want to know what that looks like? Being made in the likeness of men. That's what that verse says. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This beautiful portrait here of God in flesh, Christ incarnate. This, this picture here is one who is worthy of worship. We don't worship men. We don't worship mankind. We worship God. And God alone is worthy of our worship. And the fact that as we have here in Scripture, that Jesus Christ is worthy of worship points to the fact that He is God. In him God dwelt fully, as Colossians 1.19 puts it, right? It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All things are going to be made by him and through him, as 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom all are all things, and we in, in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Very clear there, right? There's God the Father, and there's Jesus Christ. And God the Father uh, is, is the one of whom are all things, and we're in him. And there's this one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we by him. In other words, he made everything. And who can create everything? God, God alone. You know, this is one of those verses that brings up this question of, of how does this work? How does it work when we have God the Father and Jesus the Son? And of course, we're, we're talking about the Trinity here and the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Trinity, we, we understand that there is one God and three persons. And um, one of the things that happens often in Scripture are these challenges. These, we might call them paradoxes. We might call them mysteries. Um, I had a professor who liked to describe these challenges that often come up in threes. And he used the analogy of carrying watermelons. And how many watermelons can you carry? Okay, one is okay, right? We're all good there. Maybe you tuck it, right? And you get a second one. You might need some help for it. But if I hand you a third, what happens? 
splat, right? I mean, you might try it for a while, but you're going to be juggling it, right? But the issue is is often with the threes, and and it, it's in Scripture that often seems to be the case. So let's talk about the Trinity. Jesus is God. Okay. No problem. I got that one. Jesus is not the Father. Okay. We have two persons. Jesus is God. Jesus is not the Father. Here's the third watermelon. God is one. How do you, how do you carry that? There's this aspect of mystery that comes with the Trinity. The challenge there. Even as we talk about what we, we're referring to here of, of Jesus and the incarnation. Jesus is God. How much God? 100% God. He's fully God. Jesus is man. How much man? 100% man. And yet, Jesus is one. <laughs> There's not two separate parts. He's just one. And, and how does that work? That's, these are those mysteries, those certain paradoxes of Scripture that, that give us challenges. That one's called the hypostatic union, if you uh, want to research it sometime. But, but the, the fact is, we, we have... Um, this, these two things in, in one person, right? We have God and man, and they're both found in Jesus, right? Jesus, who is the Christ. It, it is something that is um, different from what we experience, right? When we talk about Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, or... God indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. That's not the same as, God, as Jesus being fully human and fully God. Something different there. Because God indwells me, and yet I'm not God. Right? Something different going on there. Throughout all of this, this challenge has come up over time, and Folks were trying to figure out how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of this God-man? And certainly there were different people who failed to um, recognize uh, different parts or challenges. They, they failed to, in certain areas, to come up with, a, with an answer uh, that was biblical, right? That didn't lead them astray. And so... There were some who, who tried to um, just simply uh, unite the, the person altogether. There are some who have done that. There are some who, who tried to just um, go through a, uh, in other words, just sort of shift forms like a shapeshifter, right? That, that idea. There were there some who, who uh, somehow create a um, difference in the personality of Jesus. 
like he had a God personality and a human personality uh, rather than just being one. There, there is those who fail to recognize any distinction of the God and human nature, and also there are those who declare the perfection of um, a, a failure to recognize uh, the perfection of the natures, right? Those two parts. Um, and so as we, we think about this, think it's appropriate during this season as we look forward to the coming of our Savior to take some time and consider this God-man, Jesus, the one who, the one who came, who, who left heaven, and, and as 100% God and 100% man came to earth and lived a perfect life and went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, to die for our sins that we could be saved by believing. You know, this is, this is uh, amazing. All that, all that Jesus does truly is being done uh, by the person, Jesus, the, the second uh, of the Trinity. When we think about this, this time of Advent, uh, it truly is a, a time of, of, of waiting. It, it literally means coming. It is looking ahead for the Messiah. Um, as we think about those in Scripture early on, and we have some accounts of this, of folks who truly are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Examples like Simeon uh, we see in Scripture, as he, as he longs to see the Messiah before he dies. What is that? That's waiting. That's waiting. And, and, and so this, this period uh, was experienced by those who were longing for the Messiah. And we too look forward to celebrating his birth together. When we think about that Messiah, right, and, and what it was like, um, there's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he was... Um, in Germany, he had been imprisoned by Hitler during World War II, and he wrote to his fiancée about life in prison. And uh, this is how he described it. He said, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent upon the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. The, the idea of you're, you're waiting, you're hoping, you're longing for the Messiah, but it's not in our power to make him come. That's God's job. And so when, when Jesus came to the earth, it was God in his time, Scripture puts it, in the fullness of time, sending his son Jesus into the world so that the world would be introduced to this Messiah, the Savior. As we consider that expectancy, this wonderful time of just looking ahead and, and longing for Jesus to come, it, it ought to encourage our hearts as we, as we think about God not leaving us without hope, that he fulfills his promises, that he does what he said, 
You know, we um, talked this morning even in Sunday school a little bit about the fact that, that um, as, as, as we look at the Word of God, there, there are those who have, have tried to say, oh, well, when that prophecy was fulfilled, somebody had to write that after it actually happened. That's hard to do with the Messiah, right? We have all of these messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, written hundreds of years, some thousands of years, but certainly very, very clear prophecies written merely hundreds of years in advance. And with a doubt, we see the fulfillment of those prophecies in Jesus Christ. As we think of Advent and this period of coming, that should be something that strengthens our faith in God. While we're awaiting, we're confident in what is yet ahead. And that's the second part of Advent for us today, is that we're no longer waiting for the Messiah to come for the, the first coming, to, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. We're waiting for him to come back again. And we too long for that day. We long for the Messiah's return. Just as those before Christ came and walked on the earth were, were waiting for the Messiah and longing for Jesus. We get the privilege today of, of saying, I, I can't wait till he comes back. I can't wait to be with him. I can't wait for him to exercise his ultimate rule and reign on the earth in the new heavens and new earth. And we, we long for that day and that time that's coming, and it ought to strengthen our faith, knowing that we are, we are longing and waiting for something that we have really seen a model of before. Just as those in Israel were longing for the Messiah, we today long for the Lord and his soon return. Right, even, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. As you think about the various challenges and things going on in the world today, and of course, you know, we've got wars going on in the Middle East, we've got wars uh, over Ukraine and Russia and the various things taking place. Um, it, it certainly has affected our world, it's affected uh, things right now and, and what, what are taking place. Uh, it is perhaps easy, uh, too easy, to start feeling hopeless. Um, and sometimes that's because we spend too much time on 24-hour cable news rather than reading the Word of God. There was um, a student that um, was uh, Anya as part of her discipleship class was asking the students about their fears and they would write down what they were afraid of and one student put down the war between Russia and Ukraine I mean I, I don't know how old she was eight seven pretty young and you say what what are you most afraid of and the war in Russia and Ukraine was what was on her mind. You know, one of, the, one of the things I think that can take our focus off of Christ and our period of waiting is if we just get so focused on this world and what's around. 
we have so much more to look forward to. You know, the salvation that came through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins was buried and rose again the third day, and that by believing in him, by faith alone, that we could have eternal life. That that same hope that came through Jesus Christ, we, we have the privilege of looking for yet future. Because there will be a day coming when things are made right. When God makes all things right. And just as those in Israel in that day longed for the Messiah, this one who would come to make things right, sometimes with the wrong idea about the specifics, we too get to look forward to the coming of Jesus. And that ought to give us great hope today. You know, I'm grateful that my life is in the hands of an everlasting God who was willing and, and loved me and, and who Jesus himself loved me and gave himself for me that, that I might have hope. And so when that's our God, we have much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. I pray that this Christmas season, as you longingly wait for the coming of Christ, that you will longingly look at the Christ who has come already, who died on the cross for your sins, and thank God for sending his son for our sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that today our hearts would be fixed upon the, the, the wonder of the incarnation. Father, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you for the hope that's available through Jesus Christ, our Savior that by believing in him we can have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that a destiny which was so abundantly clear that we who were born sinners on the road to the terrors of hell were rescued by our Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we, we thank you that you loved us. We thank you that Jesus gave himself for us. Father, we pray that the, the wonders of the incarnation and Jesus' work, even on the cross for our sins, would overwhelm us during this season and that we would longingly look ahead to his soon return. Father, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.